0: Hi Emma, hey, how are you doing? I'm all right, thanks and you? I'm very well. So the podcast starts recording as a person comes aboard, okay? okay. Right, so So it will start recording all our greetings and stuff, but okay. I'm sure others will join us along the way, and if they don't manage well, we'll just have to see. Okay. Okay. Right, I, I I love this concept because then we can talk to each other and I do believe it uses less data than, than Zoom. Okay, so it's very handy. Okay. All right, so what we are talking about today, uh, you remember from the last lesson we were speaking of how Hitler worked his way up to becoming the chancellor of Germany. Okay, at the recommendations of von Papen, Hindenburg just had no choice. He just had to appoint Hitler. They were the majority party within the Reichstag, so there was really no other way. But what hope do you think Hindenburg and von Papen had putting in a person who was obviously power-hungry like Hitler? How did they hope to control him?
1: I think maybe through the fact that he has to listen to the people and also he's chancellor. He's not president yet. He doesn't have that much power, so he still has to answer to at least one person.
0: Okay, good. And at this point, uh, the rate stack still existed and it was still divided. We said the Nazis had 43.9% of the rate stack. So it means there were still some other political groups that could challenge Hitler, that could keep his power in check. So that was the big grand plan to say, okay, we'll put in this guy. He's obviously very power hungry, but You know, when he's going off course, when he's going off track, then the other political parties will oppose him and force him to compromise, right? But they they really had no idea who they were dealing with, okay? Hitler was determined to move up and have complete control, right? So when we ended the lesson uh, last week, we spoke about the Enabling Act, the Enabling Act of 1930. 3. Right and this was a law which gave Hitler the power to make any decisions uh, without the approval of the Reichstag he didn't need their parliamentary sessions and debate in order to pass laws. Right why did members of the Reichstag vote for such a law knowing that it would make Hitler an absolute leader. Why then did they vote to say, yes, let's have the enabling act?
1: Maybe because they figured that when Hitler had complete control, he would have better power, he would have better control of the population.
0: And Mm -hmm. maybe,
1: and also maybe the Nazis had more power within the Reichstag. So they, they would have voted for Hitler because he was their leader.
0: Okay, excellent. Right, now you remember how we said the Nazis had rich people backing them up, right? So they really had money and resources now. This time around, the Nazis were well resourced. So you'll find that Hitler was able to work with two bodies to support the Nazis. You have uh, the stormtroopers, Troopers, Right the stormtroopers who were his personal bodyguards, okay, the stormtroopers that we have always been talking about, the stormtroopers were formed in the 1920s, and these guys were Hitler's personal bodyguards. But now because he had the money and the resources, he then formed another group, which was called the SA, right, and the SA were basically a Nazi army, okay, a Nazi army, I mean, think of it, Emma, it's it's just ridiculous. How can a, a person in a country have their own police and have their own soldiers? Soldiers and police need to be registered under the government. But look what he did. He formed a Nazi army. Okay, He formed a Nazi army. And these are the people who were then being very forceful on the Reichstag. When the Enabling Act was being debated on, the SS and the SA were both present, intimidating people, frightening them, forcing them to accept the law. So many people voted because they were pressured into it and and they really felt they had no choice. So that is how the Enabling Act was actually passed. Right, from, from the time the Enabling Act had been passed, everyone knew that, okay, these are serious problems uh, for the country because this guy is power hungry, right? Hitler looked around and he realized that there were many people who could still potentially oppose him, even though he had the Enabling Act but there were still various institutions in, in Germany that could still challenge his authority, for example, you have trade unions do you remember what trade unions are
1: yes aren't they um isn't it just um it's a group of people who form an organization um that trade with e- they do business with each other
0: okay a trade union is an organization that protects the rights of of workers okay. okay right that is what yeah that's that's what a trade union is uh it it protects the workers everyone must belong to a trade union when they are employed if you can imagine people who work in industry they can be injured whilst working so the trade union ensures that if they are injured while they're working then the employer can compensate them properly instead of just dismissing them try to imagine doctors even Uh, they need a trade union because sometimes Even if you are well-intentioned and you have done your job so well as a doctor, the patient can still die. Do you see that? And after receiving thousands and thousands of dollars from the family, when the patient has died, sometimes uh, the the patient's family can sue you, right? So even doctors need a trade union to represent them. Look at teachers. They also need trade unions. There are problems in the classroom when dealing with, with children, right? So there was a real potential problem for Hitler that trade unions could challenge the Enabling Act because it would mean workers would have to be silenced. They couldn't talk about their conditions of service. They couldn't talk or negotiate for their salaries. They couldn't you know, take the employer to task about protective clothing the passing of the enabling act meant that workers were being suppressed. So trade unions were definitely a potential threat for Hitler, okay, because it it, it was a a platform by which he could be challenged, right? So he had to find a way of silencing the unions, okay? Silencing the unions, it's either they all become Nazi or they, they just stop existing. Do you think there's any other group or institution or anyone who possibly could have opposed Hitler even if he had the Enabling Act?
1: Um, maybe the communists, but they were you mm-hmm. already dealt with them in a way.
0: Okay, right. I I, I like how you put it because You are correct to say that some opposition parties still existed in Germany. The Enabling Act did not remove the existence of other political parties. So yes, you are correct. He would have to deal with opposition within the Reichstag. Right, there was also the challenge that President Hindenburg, as you said before, was the president of Germany. He had the executive powers and the army was loyal to President Hindenburg. So, if Hitler was going off course, then there was also the potential that the army and the president could stop him. Right. And, you know, if you look at uh, the entire civil service, the entire civil service, when we talk about the civil service, we are talking about people who work for the government, the police, the soldiers the administrators in in public offices, you know, um, doctors, lawyers, teachers, everybody who is employed by the government. There was also a very real challenge that some of these people did not agree with Nazi policies. So they too would resist If, if Hitler made an announcement that, you know, from now onwards in all schools, everybody should sing the Nazi anthem. It was very possible that on the ground, the teachers implementing these policies would not do what Hitler had has said. Right. So he needed a way to make his power infiltrate all the sections of, of, of Germany, as it were. OK, he, he needed to penetrate. Right. So uh, over the next couple of months from the time that he um Uh, acquired the Enabling Act. He then started making some steps uh, to make sure that all power was in his hands. Right, so in April, remember the elections were held in March, okay, so the following month in April, right, he dissolved the parliamentary system. No more debates, no more constituent assemblies, no more constitutional uh, representatives, no more rage threat. Remember when we started the topic, we spoke about the rage stag and the rage threat. Okay, right. The rage threat was dissolved. Like, no more debates, no more coming from your various districts and provinces with your many problems to say, we are unemployed, we don't have running water, no more of that. Decisions will be made from a higher office. Right, he was he was becoming an absolute leader, right? Yes. Yes, he definitely uh, was. Okay, do you think uh, those parliamentary sessions are helpful in any way? I think you've seen some of the sessions on TV. Uh, you've seen the South African ones with Julius Matema and, and, and so forth. Sometimes it can be really disruptive and they debate and they argue and they fight. Do you think those kind of debates are helpful in a country in any way?
1: Yes, I think they do help because I think they represent, um, I think that the representatives in these debates uh, help to voice mm-hmm. the opinions of the people that they have spoken to and the people that they represent. So I think it helps to sort of even out um, and fully take into account the opinions of the people in the country.
0: Okay, good, Emma. Because, I mean, if you look at Zimbabwe, I'm trying to give an example of Zimbabwe because we can relate. Right. If if you wanted to communicate a problem to the president, they were, you couldn't call him, you couldn't drive to his house and tell him your problems as an individual. Right. But what we have are what we call constituencies. Okay. Constituencies are those Divisions based on where we stay. Okay, right. Like uh, I stay in Machamplope, and I think Machamplope sometimes is grouped with Waterford, uh, Selbon Park. Maybe right. They group these areas together. Then they say this is a ward. Okay, this ward is under such and such a constituency, and in that ward, we we normally have a representative. Okay, maybe we have high crime rates in our neighborhood maybe we are concerned about the number of high schoolers who are dropping out maybe we are concerned about the number of people who are drinking at our local stores right we 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 can't go all the way to the president to report that but certainly we can report that to our ward leader and then the ward leader Will then take it further up. And that is how the complaint gets to the president. When they have their parliamentary sessions, then the leader will then say, Excuse me, Mr. President, you know, I'm coming from a small uh, district in Bulawayo, and we are concerned about the number of high school dropouts. Right. Has anyone else experienced a similar trend in their own constituencies? Then people start, oh, yes, it's true, it's true. You know, since lockdown, uh, the number of people who have given up on school, is higher, what can we do? So you are correct to say those parliamentary sessions are a channel by which the leadership gets to understand the needs of the people. If that channel is closed, if those leaders are prohibited from functioning, then basically you're saying the leaders do what they want and they are no longer accountable to the people, which is very, very unfair. Right, so in April, that's what Hitler did. He dissolved the parliament. Okay, no more of those debates. Right, and he wasn't done. In May, the following month, he uh, passed a law that said that trade unions were to be banned no more trade unions okay they they just will not exist anymore no more negotiating for pay negotiating for better conditions and so forth i would like to find out from you emma i mean trade unions are have to do with conditions of service have to do with uh, how employees are treated whilst they're at work and hitler is here trying to gain more power to himself why why was there need to silence workers who just wanted an improvement in their conditions of workers why why of of service why silence them why silence the workers what for
1: because the workers have a power in that if they strike you have no way of of you have no industrial potential um Mm-hmm. As in, in silencing the workers, you make sure that they have no way of 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 relashing and of voicing their opinions. In order to make himself heard, he had to silence the people first.
0: Okay, excellent, Emma. Because the workers, the the economic issues, run side by side with the political issues, okay? They can't be separated. A general strike, a national strike quickly turns political because although people are saying we are underpaid, we don't want to work, but they are sabotaging the government publicly and the police have to step in to disperse the crowds. So it transfers from being an economic problem to becoming a political one, right? And Hitler just did not want any disruptions to, to his new office, any disruptions like a, a major strike. He just wanted to silence the unions. Okay, so he banned the trade unions. He arrested their leaders. He um, destroyed their premises and shut them down. He ordered their treasuries to be raided, you know. Why take their money?
1: Because it he can use it for other If there's no money being poured into trade unions, he can pour it into the military, into areas that give him more power and more control over the country.
0: Mm -hmm. That was exactly it. And it also prevents the trade unions from ever resurfacing because they wouldn't be funded anymore. Right. So he's really making his steps towards eliminating all the potential threats. And then in July, uh, he passed another law that Germany was to become a one-party state. It's either you belong to the Nazis or you are nowhere. Okay, right. It's now an official legal law. The only party allowed in government is the Nazi party. I'm trying to imagine the elections. When you say we have elections, I mean, It's either you're voting for the Nazis or you're not voting. Do you see that? It was just ridiculous. So this law was passed, which also gave him the right then to persecute opposition party members because by law, these guys were now operating illegally because the law has said no more of these opposition groups. Right, so he was able to arrest Uh, members of the opposition and, you know, carry the legal uh, documents to say, I am arresting you, I am not kidnapping you in the dead of the night, no, I am arresting you publicly because this is no longer allowed in this country. Right, he he was becoming an absolute leader. Right, and and once opposition parties uh, were banned, it means that Even within the civil service, the various government institutions, he had to uh, penetrate and find a way of removing people who were not loyal, people who were not compliant, people who were passive. Do you know what passive means?
1: Passive, surely it means that they have no... um it means that they didn't do as they were told and they didn't take the rule as they didn't just accept it.
0: Mm -hmm. Right so a person who's passive just doesn't react they they don't uh, get excited by the new law Uh, neither do they reject it okay passive people are just in between, right? So such people had to be eliminated from the system because they were not compliant, okay? They were not compliant. He wanted people uh, who were 100% aligned to the Nazi agenda. If the government says from now onwards in our schools, we want our children to do boxing, both girls and boys, he didn't want a bunch of teachers who start saying, oh my goodness, boxing for girls, what is this? He wanted people who would say 100% tomorrow, all girls and boys, boxing match. Right, so he he was trying to penetrate the system and putting uh, all these people that were loyal. Now, you see, the Weimar Republic had been very tolerant during its years of governance. It had been so tolerant that, uh, so many opposition members were employed in the civil service, in the army, in the police, in the health sector, in the industries, right? And, and, and now Hitler was saying everyone must be Nazis. So it meant eliminating those who didn't belong to the Nazis, right? At that time, they would actually give out certificates of membership to say this person is a Nazi. So if a person was looking for a job, right, and they weren't a Nazi and they didn't have that kind of membership or certificate, then they couldn't be employed, no matter how good their qualifications were. People who had been employed in the civil service and were not Nazi were discharged, okay, they were dismissed from their positions. You no longer own this factory, you are no longer the manager of this company. You, know, you are no longer a doctor employed in this country. You are no longer a teacher. You are no longer an army general. We just don't need your services anymore. This was terrible, okay? Really terrible. But the worst of it was that he started implementing his anti-Semitic laws, okay? Do you know what the anti-Semitic laws uh, means, yes. what that means.
1: It means that Jews weren't able to get mm-hmm. jobs, it means that Jews were blamed for all the problems that happened in the country, and that Jews were generally regarded mm-hmm. as the uh, lower members of society
0: if not really people at all. Mm-hmm. That That is it, right. And at this point, the persecution against Jews was still very moderate, 1933, very moderate. The clever ones Uh, who immediately sensed the tension, got their passports ready and started to leave the country. Okay, but some, some, not all Jews were rich and well-to-do. Some didn't have connections outside the country and they just remained. But now they were completely isolated because now the civil service has become Nazi. It means if you are born as a Jew in Germany, You cannot go to the government offices and apply for a birth certificate because you will not be given that birth certificate. The birth certificate is only being issued to Germans alone. Neither can you register your child in a German school because you don't have the proper documentation. You see, life was becoming very, very difficult for Jews. Neither can you go and request a passport So that you could leave the country because passports are processed within the civil service. Right. So they were cornered completely. They couldn't even go to hospitals because where is your certificate? Do you see that? Where is your certificate that allows you to move around freely in this country and access health care and so forth? Right. So all this was part of his agenda of flushing out. Opposition, right? So we are just about to round up. Um, once he had dealt with uh, these um, threats, he now had to face the biggest one ever, which was the army. You remember during the Munich push that the, one of the reasons why the push failed was because the army had had been loyal to the Weimar Republic, right? So. He, he never forgot that he never forgot that he 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 was bent on um finding people who are loyal and and punishing those who were who were not right so he looked at the army and the army had a very powerful leader uh, his name was Ernest Roem okay Ernest Roem right and and Roem had all these leadership qualities and, and all the soldiers and all the ranks within the army, everyone there was loyal to Ernest Rohan, right? This was a potential threat. How so am I? Why, why would some powerful army general be a threat to because Hitler? Because with all the loyalty
1: of the men, um, he has, he could launch, um, he could potentially overthrow Hitler because he has the power of the German army, he has the loyalty and he has a guarantee of their support, and Hitler doesn't.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hitler doesn't, okay. Even though he's got the SS, uh, which is his bodyguards, and he also has the SA, which is the Nazi army, but their numbers are far less than what exists um, in the army. And he also couldn't go there and force them and say, hey, you army people, can you salute me? You know, loyalty is something that you cannot force. It's, it's something intrinsic, Emma. It's something that must be inspired in people. So he knew that Ernest Roam inspired that kind of loyalty in his soldiers. And there's no way that he could just force it on them. So Ernest Roam had to go. Okay, Ernest Roam had to go, and if he was out of the way, then that would mean, you know, the army could be persuaded to surrender to his rule. Of course, Ernest Roam didn't work alone as an isolated individual. There were obviously many uh, military officers who were also loyal to Ernest Roam. Okay, so he he needed to sort that out, and also. Even within the Nazi party, not everything was perfect. There were some people within the Nazi party uh, who were going left. When I say going left, I mean they were also starting to uh, challenge Hitler and question him and say, hmm, when we formed this party, was this the original plan? You know, they were starting to question him. They were going left right, opposing Hitler, right. So he needed to come up with some kind of plan to eliminate opposition within his own Nazi party and also deal with the army problem. Make sure Ernest Rome is out of the way. Make sure that the only people who remain are people who are afraid of him and people who are loyal to him, right. So he um, unleashed what we call the night of the long knives, okay? The light night of the long knives. You can read more about it on page 205 in our textbook. But it's basically him cracking down on anyone whom he believed was not loyal. The executions were serious, okay? Uh, the executions were really serious. So many people went under the knife. That's why it was called the Night of the Long Knives. So many people were killed because they weren't 100% loyal to Hitler. Anyone, even within the Nazi party, if you showed some hesitation or if you showed that you were a little sympathetic to opposition groups, then then you just had to go. Right. So in the Night of the Long Knives, Hitler eliminated even people from his own personal bodyguard, even people from his own Nazi army, just to show that he was committed to having absolute power. Okay. Right. Do you have any questions? Um, Yes. I
1: I read something somewhere about totalitarianism. Mm -hmm. Do you think that Germany Do you mind explaining exactly what totalitarianism is and would Germany fit in that stage fit under that heading?
0: Okay. Totalitarianism from the word total. It means a government that has total control. Right. Any country is divided into the political sphere, the economic sphere and the social sphere. OK, right. The political has to do with the law making branches, the judiciary and the legislature, right? The police, the magistrates, the judges, everyone belongs on the political side. Then the economic side has to do with the control of resources in a country, the land, uh, the fuel, the electricity, the mining resources, et cetera, et cetera, trade. Right, then the social aspect has to do with the ordinary people, the laws that govern ordinary people, their uh, right to congregate, to uh, start businesses, their right to form any political movements, their right to follow any religion. It has to do with ordinary people. So when we say a state is totalitarian, we are saying all those three sectors are completely controlled by the government the government tells you which party you should belong to the government tells you how you should run your businesses and and when the government forces you know forces you to engage in in economic programs because they have control of the economy and then socially the government also dictates in some countries, the government dictates what people should wear, uh, what religion people should practice, uh, what kind of educational curriculum should be taught in schools. Do you remember in Zimbabwe, maybe you were still a, a very young child by then, but um, in Zimbabwe before the new curriculum, which uh, ZIMSEC students are starting right now, before that curriculum was implemented, There were years and years of debate Okay, within parliament. They debated to say, we want to change our education system. It's now outdated. Can we upgrade? To the very last stage where parents were asked to vote, do they want this new curriculum? Teachers were asked to vote. That shows you that there was uh, some democracy in terms of implementing laws. But in a totalitarian state, such things do not exist, even things that affect, you know, what you wear, what what church you go to, when you go to church, right? Such things, how you get married, laws about whether you can marry foreigners or outsiders, all those things are dictated by the government and there is no dialogue. Right, so I, I think the point that we are at in 1933, I I see Germany uh, moving towards totalitarianism, definitely, because I can see politically Hitler having total control. I can see economically that the means of production was going to be put under the government. People would not have the freedom Uh, to run their businesses and then even socially I can see some people being eliminated on the grounds of being foreigners okay so definitely Germany qualifies to be called a totalitarian state did I answer you well I hope I did
1: yes thank you Mrs Mbeve and just on that same note Mm -hmm. does Mm -hmm. is so was the Soviet Union with Stalin at its head do you think that was also a totalitarianism
0: it it definitely was it definitely was the totalitarianism actually started with Lenin in 1918 okay so he okay. did a re- he did a revolution and you know overthrew the government and started ruling as a dictator and then he was dead by 1924 And Stalin took over and continued in those footsteps. And the reason why your examiner allows you to study these things is because it's not to say a dictatorship is evil, it's cruel. That's not the reason why they they say that. Each of these countries applied totalitarian rule for different reasons, okay? In, in in Russia, it was the economy that wasn't doing well. It was because the country was large and, and, and so divided. Russia alone constitutes about one sixth of the earth's total surface, okay? So it was a big country, but very disorganized. A dictatorship was required to to bring everything under control. Then you look at Germany, the reasons are also different. The needs of Germans are different. And and those are the kinds of things that your examiner wants you to figure out. And at the end of the day, make a judgment. Does it work? Does the dictatorship actually work, right? So if you look at all these dictators, their end was very, very sad. And the people working under them were not very happy In Germany, the dictatorship worked economically because uh, Germany became industrialized and very powerful. But in terms of social development, I mean, up to today, Germans have to commemorate the the killings that were taking place at, at concentration camps like Auschwitz, because it hurt everyone so much. So even though the economy did well, but socially, it was very hurtful. And in other countries like Russia, the economy didn't do well and even politically, people suffered. So, you're just figuring out if it actually worked. Okay. Okay. This has been fun. You know, I I did this with upper sixes and we had more people attending the discussion. It, It was really fun. I find that it's better for us to communicate like this and, and we can master more things, okay? And it, it's obviously consuming less data than than Zoom. So I will definitely encourage more people to join us next time. Thanks, Emma, for attending.
1: Okay, thank you, Mrs. Mbeve.
0: All right, bye-bye.
1: Goodbye, thank you.